You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Rob, what's good, homie? Mike, another Wednesday, man. Sweep the Rack. Let's fucking go. Let's do this, man. I'm psyched. Uh, shout outs to everybody joining us. Uh, Nico, always pleasure to see you. Man, what's what's happening, man? Let's let's talk a little bit. How's uh how's the week been? Let's start maybe with uh how league went Thursday night. Heard you had a good practice story Monday. Well, we should start with my birthday. It was my birthday last weekend. Dude, I forgot, dude. Happy birthday, man. I saw that uh Instagram story post. Uh, you were like, yeah. man, I'm celebrating my birthday. I'm like, dude, this mother didn't even tell anybody. And then I see his post. Um, yeah, honestly, you don't have Facebook to remind me. So, right. Yeah, it's no it's no big deal with me, honestly. Uh, yeah, we were just chilling at the house. Uh, I did throw out there for anybody to come through and uh, pull up. Uh, did have some company uh, come through, you know, little hanging out, little barbecue and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, good time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Lig, you, let's talk about Lig last week. I had 300 shot against me. Uh, <laughs> I had I'm, sure you were lo- I'm sure you love that. Yeah, I didn't. It, it, it was whatever. You know, honestly, uh, the, the the guy who I was bowling against throw, throws it pretty good. He's the highest average in the league uh, for the summer. I think he's averaging close to 240. Um, lefty. You know, was throwing a idle pearl, I think, which looked pretty good in this place. And uh, yeah, he shot three hundred seven fifty on me. But uh, but yeah, listen, we won the night. We won the night uh, seven to two. Uh, my guy GQ stepped it up the last two games. I bowled well the last two games. I think I shot seven oh two was my series for three. So uh, yeah, seven twenty seven oh two the last two. I'll be bowling again tomorrow night, and then I'll be taking the week off uh, next week, uh, going on vacation. I won't be here next week, folks. Uh, Rob is uh, Rob is arranging a co-host. Uh, I'm sure he will have somebody who is uh, entertaining, and and will will uh, you know keep you guys glued to the screen here. Uh, but I I will be on vacation next week, so I got that coming up. Uh, but yeah, you know, league is league. It, it's 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 boring. It is. It's boring, honestly. <laughs> we can't hear you. I can't hear you, Rob. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, usually that's the reason why uh, you bowl with people you know, because it's usually an entertainment because you're hanging out with friends, drinking beer, whatever it is. Um, especially I, if it's like I a house. I could league. not. I could not survive a 36-week house league experience. I couldn't do it. It's just mm. too, yeah. It, it, no, yeah. there's just there's there's not enough thinking involved, honestly, for me. Like when when you bowl on the harder stuff, you you know you got to put some thought into what's going on out there, or you're very quickly going to become lost. Uh, on the easier stuff, there's just very little thought involved. It's just kind of, you know. Get your timing as good as you can. Repeat it, you know, as closely as you can. But it, it's really irrelevant to a certain degree. But yeah, I am having fun. I mean, it is fun. It's fun to strike a lot. It's fun to to bowl on that stuff. There's no question. But 
I haven't changed my opinion though, Rob. I, I, in fact, I probably feel stronger than ever that it, I think it's a good time to, for bowling to, to consider pushing the reset button, you know, and get, getting rid of the easy shit and doing away with it. And whoever stays around, stays around and we move on from there. But, uh, you mentioned that, that, uh, you know, behind the scenes, we talked about a practice session that I went to Monday night. So uh, I mentioned a few times over the week, uh, over the last few weeks, that Rusty Thompson, he's been a guest on the show previously, uh, he puts together two patterns uh, on, on a series of pairs at Majestic Lane. Shout to them for supporting uh, uh, supporting competitive bowling. And uh, I, I've been showing up the last few weeks just to get some work in. And this week uh, he had out what I was bowling on was the 46-foot Johnny Petraglia pattern. Very interesting pattern. Very interesting pattern. 46 feet, but you could use urethane on it uh, to start, which was one interesting thing. But anyway, my story is this. I get on a pair by myself. The guys who I have gone with the last couple weeks weren't showing up. So I'm bowling by myself. These two guys come down, and they're like, hey, do you mind if we jump on the parry? I say, yeah, no problem. Come on, jump on. So they jump on. They start bowling. And (coughs) excuse me, but... It was obvious, you know, from from the jump that like these were two guys who didn't have a lot of experience bowling on tougher stuff. So they they were you know struggling, struggling, throwing shots, throwing shots, and then they kind of started to get the feel for it and make some adjustments and and throw some some more successful shots. So while we were practicing, uh, and and they were in that transition between really struggling and kind of figuring them out, I turned to them and I said, "Yo, I'm like, isn't it hard to believe that there's pros?" that will average 240 or better on this. I mean, can you imagine how how good you have to be to average 240 on something like this? And they were both like, yo, that's unbelievable. And they were like, people, if you don't, if you've never bowled on this stuff and you only bowl on house, you really have no clue of how good those guys are. And they both said it. And honestly, you know, it looked like these guys had very limited experience bowling on tougher conditions. So, I don't, I don't think it takes long to understand in that experience the difference and what it means. Yeah, it's good. It's a good story because it just it shows you that a lot of people are, you know, really stuck in their like house pattern, uh, easy conditions in, in their home house. And a lot of people don't even realize that those patterns that the pros bowl on are that hard. You know, they really don't. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a good story, Mike. Uh, so, real quick, let me tell you about my bowling experience this weekend. So, I bowled uh, a scratch tournament Sunday. Uh, there was about 65, probably, entries for the scratch division. What was it on? Uh, it was um, Kegel Plutonium, which is like a 39-foot flat pattern to a certain extent. Um, I looked. I looked up. The pattern before I uh, went to the tournament, I went on uh, the Kegel website just to kind of read about it. What uh, was the ratio? Do you remember what the ratio was? I don't. Um, no, okay. But it, you can look it up. It's a 39 foot. It's a little bit flatter. Uh, and there was a women's division too. And the women had, I think, about 20 or something. So the house was filled. I mean, there was like five on a pair. Uh, seven. And they took the top 10 for, ca- uh, top 10 for cash, top eight for match play. It's a one-game bracket until the finals, okay? So I got two stories. I'll tell you about my experience first and then one quick story. Um, Mike, they started out brutal. 
I mean, just absolutely brutal. Uh, I was trying to. I, I, I pulled it up. It looks brutal. It's like a, it's like a two to one ratio. Uh, thirty nine feet with twenty six mils. I mean that 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 doesn't sound easy. It's not easy. Um, so the first game I start off, um, I bowled one fifty, one fifty five. My first game, and I looked around my pairs, um, and I was bowling next to some really good bowlers, and I, I didn't feel like I, I lost a whole lot of pins. I maybe started like twenty five or thirty behind the field because there was just everybody was bowling like one seventies and one eighties. Um, so. I was okay, um, and then I, I, I made a ball switch, and I, I started moving around a little bit, grinded out some 190s, a 190, a 20, and then, Mike, I moved left. I found the right ball, and I went about 140 over the next five. I got into the 10th frame of the last game, and keep in mind, I started 150. I needed to throw all three strikes in the 10th to be right around the eighth place, uh, the bubble. I get up in the first shot, and I I was on a triple going for 240 through an amazing shot and just stoned a 10. Like, it was just a vicious 10. And then um, I ended up for the tournament plus 85 or 4, and 10th uh, for cashing was plus 96. So I missed the cashing by 10, and match play was like 102 over. So if I struck out, I would have made the t- – I would have been 8th. Um, so overall, considering I, I started out really bad, I, I really made a good run, um, when the lanes opened up a little bit for the field in the, in, in the afternoon, uh, the five games, obviously the cut was plus 90. So they opened up and got easier as the carry down push, but here's my other story following up on your story. I pulled next to Sam Cooley. Okay. Um, for all eight games, Mike, he ran them over. I mean, absolutely ran them over. Dude, he was playing like an arrow and a half left of me, and he was getting the ball to hook back probably like three boards right of where I was. Um, and he's like a machine, Mike. I think he said three words the whole eight games. Uh, real focused, real just ended up winning the tournament. Um, there wasn't anybody who's going to beat him, I don't think. I know Robbie Patterson came close in the final match. I didn't stick around. But, Mike, to your point, you don't know how good these national pros are until you bowl next to somebody on a flatter pattern tournament, or at least they were really hard the first three, and he made them look super easy, using a urethane the first couple of games, and then he moved left with everybody else um, and must have averaged like 230 or 240. I don't really know what the numbers were. But uh, anyway, so that was my story. Good to be back bowling. Just good to be in a tournament that was hard uh, and enjoy that tournament a lot. Um, and they, I think they run once a month. So I'll be able to start bowling those every month, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah. So that was my story, Mike. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm being asked in the chat by Anthony Battaglia there if I'm coming to bowl the King of the Hill tomorrow, Carolier on 45-foot Rome. Uh, no, I actually have not made it to a single king of the hill this summer because i'm uh, that's that's the night i bowl on the house nonsense is uh is thursday nights i i lamented about that a couple shows ago uh greg tack is also running his end of the season event uh next weekend at Hal lanes which is one of the closer centers to me and i won't be able to attend that because i'll be on vacation 
So, yeah, for now, uh, I'm still kind of in practice mode, I guess, and uh, getting back into things. And I guess I'm looking at, like, after I get back from vacation, hopefully I'll be uh, I'll be able to get out and, uh, and bowl some stuff. But, Rob, it's interesting that you bring up Sam Cooley being there because here's the question that I wanted to ask you, and it kind of relates to a topic that uh, we posted about earlier this week on our Facebook page and got a – got an unbelievable response to uh, on our Facebook page that we wanted to discuss a little bit here tonight. But I wanted to ask you, you know, were there any really high-level bowlers or quote-unquote professional bowlers uh, in the field? And, you know, obviously Sam Cooley was there. That's a pretty big name. Uh, anybody else, Rob? Uh, Andrew Canebold, um, I consider him a high-level pro. Uh, he, he struggled. The left wasn't very good. I'm not sure how much he struggled, but uh, I know he struggled a little bit and he kind of found his way. Um, but yeah, uh, there, um, a lot of the the Arizona pros uh, were bowling USBC Open that weekend. Like uh, uh, Butcherf, I think, usually bowls those. Um, uh, uh, Haugen was not there. Um, so yeah, uh, that was the only really national. Him and Andrew Kane, I believe, and I'm just trying to think where the, the two that I know that I knew and there was a lot of top amateur there that I know from the area. Uh, Matt Jones, Chris Clark, Ed Smaglick, um, just guys that you might know from bowling college uh, that were right. high, high level. And uh, there was a lot of other, some younger guys there that I didn't know that threw the ball fantastic. So I'd imagine they, they were high level too. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of good, good solid field, honestly, Mike. So. So, so the question that got posted on our Facebook page that kind of relates to me asking you that is uh, – should professionals be able to bowl the USBC Open? Mm. Right? And it got a it got a major response. And and you know what? Before we get to that, Rob, you know, let me ask you this: You just went to this tournament over the weekend. You know, you show up, you see Sam Cooley there. He's a he's a I believe he's a at least a, a single time PBA titleist. Uh, you know, I know he won just recently. He's won in other countries, I'm sure. Uh, you see him there. You know, you see a guy like Andrew Kane. Are you okay with that? Or, you know, does a thought go through your head perhaps of, hey, these guys shouldn't be able to bowl, or, or maybe I shouldn't bowl this event if these guys are allowed to bowl? Uh, it's that's, a, that's not a straight answer for me because the half of me that invested my own money into the tournament um, doesn't want him there because it's just probably a cashing spot that's gone out of the 10 cashers out of the 70. So in reality, most likely you're probably bowling for now nine cashing spots um, because the, mo the, the, the probability that they're going to be in the top 10 is pretty good, right? Um, but the competitive scratch bowler in me uh, wants to bowl in match play because it's a one-game match. And wants to be able to come on this show Wednesday and said that I beat Sam Cooley. Um, so, yeah, the competitive in me wants to see how good they really are. Uh, even though I know how good they are because I've bowled against them since I was, you know, a kid. But um, I, yeah, so that's a 50-50 answer, at least for a local tournament. If I'm going to, like, a local, like, King of the Hill tournament, um, and it's, you know, I look like, if it's, I, I don't know, maybe there's sometimes I do want them there. A tournament like the TAT, I don't want them there because first place is 20, 25 grand. And I honestly legit 
feel that I can win the tap. But if they let pros into the tap, like guys like Sam Cooley, Andrew Kane, you know, all these top tier level national pros, I don't feel like I could beat them right now the way um the way since I'm not bowling full time. I'm I work 50, 55 hours a week. And I don't think I could beat them working 50, 55 hours a week. He only he just wanted to brag about how many hours a week he works there, folks. He's very no 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 because look like if my career, Mike, and your career was bowling, and all we did was bowl, Mike, and all we did was bowl. Think about all the hours you spent in that school. Okay, now let's compare this. You spent a lot of hours at your school teaching, right? Um, think about if you would have spent all of those hours bowling and traveling and practicing and bowling tournaments. And now you bowl someone like me who's only bowling one day a week or two days a week. That's a super advantage for you because you have spent thousands of hours in the bowling center compared to my few hours every, every week or weekend. So now as a tournament director, do I want them to bowl? Absolutely not because I feel like a lot of bowlers are discouraged and won't bowl if they know guys like Buttriff and, and, and Cooley are bowling. That's why the tat is so successful, and they and they and they get a, men, a lot of entries. So I don't know. That's not a really a straight cut answer, but no, nah, you can't give me a straight answer or anything. I feel you, but no, listen, and and, I, and I'm kidding. But uh, I, personally, I, I like what's being said in the chat by your brother. I think that uh, I like what's being said in the chat by John Stevenson uh, about the lack of money. And the fact that professional bowlers uh, actually have to consider bowling events like the ones we're discussing right now, uh, and we'll jump into discussing the USBCs in a minute. Uh, I don't think but- it's the money, though, Mike. Mike, here's the point: though, I got to jump in, though. I don't think it's the money. I think Sam Cooley bowled that tournament because he knows he's probably going to Lubbock this new weekend to bowl, and there is nothing else for him to bowl and. Um, you know, it's a lot different bowling competitive on a plutonium, right, and bowling a tournament than going to your local bowling center and having them put out a pattern. So I think they do. I don't think they do it for the money more for the, like there's just a fine tune up before you go to a tournament. Yeah, so I understand. But, the, but at the same time, you know, like you said, if it's if it's an almost insurmountable advantage that they have, then, you know, really, they know they're going to be putting money in their pocket. And that's you know, that's never a bad thing for anybody, but oh, it's free money for them. It's free money, just like the USBC open when they go into brackets. Okay. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah. So let's let's transition the conversation over to that, right? And you know, as as I said, it was a post on our USBC Facebook page or on our Facebook page for Sweep the Rack. And we just discussed it here in terms as it relates to your experience this weekend and having some high level pros uh in your event that you bowled. So the question on our Facebook page was, should pro, should pros be allowed to bowl the USBC Open? Right, And obviously this year, I think that question is going to strike a chord particularly because the pros absolutely ate it up and, uh, and kind of dominated the competition. So uh, I don't know. Do you, do you want to start with your opinion? You gave us your opinion on the events you bowl, Rob. Do you want to kind of follow that up with your opinion on the USBCs and and where you stand on that? Um, I was a very opinionated on this, and I don't feel like they they should bowl. And I think I'm in the minority. Uh, I think the most of the posts that came in uh, were 
all for them being able to bowl. And here's the reason why I kind of feel that way, Mike. And I don't have a strong opinion on that because I kind of feel like I might be able to like get on board with them if they had a division or they had, I'm more kind of discouraging when they bowl, when they're allowed to go in the side events, meaning the brackets. Okay. Um, I don't feel like, I feel like that's a little bit unfair if I'm going there and I want to go in 30 brackets and there's a lot of brackets to go in, Mike. You can go in reverse brackets, solo brackets, super brackets. You can go in like and walk in there and spend fifteen hundred or two thousand instantly on brackets. Now, look, it, it's not what it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But if I'm bowling a squad like that Sean Rash is on, or Kyle Troop, or Andrew Anderson, and they're in my squad, and Mike, am I gonna go in there and put money in brackets if I know they're probably going in all of the brackets? Now, that's kind of a little bit unfair because, like I said before, these guys are doing it for a living, Mike. They are bowling every day. That's their job. If my job was to bowl full time, I would be a lot better than I am right now with anybody, with you, with anybody in that chat room. If, if they were able to bowl full time and got the right lessons and had the money to do it, we would all be a lot better. And eventually, after years, years of doing that, you will be on the level or can be on the level of that they're at. Um, so I don't think they should be able to bowl. I kind of feel like it's, even though it's not an amateur tournament, it's still the majority of the field is amateur bowlers. So it's a little bit unfair to the amateur bowlers when they know walking in the door that they're at an unfair advantage. Now it doesn't mean a pro is going to win, but I still feel like the pros need to stick to pro level tournaments, regionals, you know, and national level tournaments. Now, is it our fault as amateurs that the pros don't have a ton of things to bowl? No, that's the PBA's fault. That's not our fault. So as amateur bowlers, then why should we have to bowl against the pros? Because the PBA doesn't have enough bowl, enough tournaments to bowl. I don't know. That's my opinion. I'll probably get some heat for it, but just my opinion. I have two problems. I have two problems with where you're at on this uh, on this issue. Feel feel free to throw up some of the comments here, Rob, if you want to uh, highlight anything or discuss anything here. Yeah, but sure. I have two. Uh, I have two problems with uh, with your position on this issue, and I'm I'm going to go a little bit in depth here. So my my first problem is um, where's the demarcation line? What do you mean? What's the, what is, that's a like, big word, Mike. Your, your English, <laughs> what does that mean? Well, where where do you draw the line and cut it off for who can bowl and who can't bowl? National right? title like, winners. Yeah, but, but, but hold on a minute. Then you're going to have uh, – all right, so let's think of somebody who doesn't have a national title, right, but has vast PBA experience or has bowled at that level a lot. Right, that we would consider a professional bowler who would then still be able to bowl the event and and they would be the best bowler there. Right. So that that's my first issue, right? For like like one name that comes to mind, Rob, is like a Joe Paluzic. Okay. Just off the top of my head. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. But like this is a guy who has bowled literally hundreds of PBA events, does not have a PBA title. Okay. 
And if you eliminate everybody that does have a PBA title, then yeah, you 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 show you know oh great Nico Puhar great example Darren Tang Rob, okay Darren Tang so he doesn't have a PBA title so he's going to be able to bowl but other guys who have a PBA title are not going to be able to bowl so Matt Sanders can't bowl but Darren Tang can. I don't know about that, right? So I'm not, look, you asked me a question, and I'm like, that was the first thing that came to mind because I really haven't really put like that's the problem that the USPC has right now, Mike, is how do you separate if they do create some kind of like well, guidelines on who can bowl and who can't? How do they do that? And that's the that's, reason why I don't think they they let the pros bowl because it's an open tournament, open championships. To them, that's fuck it. Let's let, let we we. Sh- it's an open tournament. Everybody should be allowed to bowl. All right. So here's the other issue that I have with with your position or, or where we're at in this discussion. <laughs> my, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I, I'll be honest. I, I really I can't stand this about the bowling community, right? Oh, and I know where you're going because with this. because. Your brother and and whoever else mentioned that are right, and you know there there's really a lack of resources at the professional level of, of of bowling, right? Especially if you're not within the elite of the professional level of bowling, right? So you have a lot of professional bowlers who any opportunity they get to to make some money, or if there's a tournament, even if it's for a couple thousand dollars and it's something local, chances are they want to show up and they want to try and put that money in their pocket, right? But so do so does everybody else below them in the food chain of the bowling com- competitive bowling community right so if the guy who has a pro title can't show up then the guy who has never bowled the the pro tour the national tour but has some regional titles is really happy cuz now he's the best guy but then the guy below him who's your 230 average house bowler who doesn't have his PBA card and is mad because this guy does, he's now mad. And this this dwindles all the way down, right? This goes all the way down. And 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 it's just it's just bad for bowling in general. Right? It's bad for bowling in general. So um this is another issue that I think really needs to uh be given some attention, you know, be given some serious thought. You know, I'm not I'm certainly not gonna come on here and uh and act like I have all the answers or, or that I'm here with all the solutions, right? Because these are these are complicated problems that have gone on a while. Well, here's but the deal, Mike. I think about like this. Hold one. on, hold on. Let me be clear. I don't think the solution is, you know, selectively shut out certain levels of bowlers. Because again, like some of you guys in the chat, like Jeff Lindemuth, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Ian Lang just pointed out there's a big gap between the 176 and Kyle Troop in our division. Totally agree, Ian. But if you take Kyle Troop out of that or anybody at his level and you go down to the next guy who's after them, isn't the same true of that guy in the 176? Because I think it is. I I think that that whoever that next guy is and that 176, there's going to be just as much of a gap. And and you're you're just passing the benefit on to somebody else by excluding people. And, you know, I, I don't know. That doesn't work for me. You know, these guys are the most talented. If we're going to open it up, then open it up and, and let them bowl. If you have to have different divisions because of that, fine. I'm, I'm okay with, 
you know, a mass breakdown of divisions. But here's the problem, and we all know what the problem is with that. It's going to, you know, crush the prize funds of all the divisions. Oh, you, know, you start breaking things up so so uh, minutely, and yeah, it's going to crush the the prize funds of all the divisions. Okay, so I'm going to throw this out there in my last point because I want to talk about the USBC prize fund because you brought it up, um, and I just want to talk a little bit about that. But there's a reason, okay, and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. There's a reason why the TAT entries are going up every tournament this of Jamie McWilliams runs. Okay. There's a reason why the entries are going up. Now, I don't want to throw facts out there because I don't want to get a tweet from asserted somebody who loves to tweet me when I get my facts wrong, but I don't know what the entries have been going for the last like three or four years. If the USBC open championships entries have been going down now, this year was a different story because of COVID. So I will take this year out of the, of, of the mix, but from, I'd love to see what the entries were, were like from 2016 to 2020 and see how the entries have been doing. And I would uh, guess, guess, speculate, Mike, because that's what we do here on Sweep the Rack. We speculate. I would speculate that the entries are going down every year. And it's a lot of different like factors, right, why they're, why, why they're going down. It's not just the reason the pros are allowed the bowl. I would imagine that's not a big reason, but is it? I mean, the TAT entries are going up and the USBC open entries are going down. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence, but I'm, I'm, all, I'm spe- all I'm doing is speculating, Mike. But on that point, let me... Yeah, it's just, it's just such... It's, it's so weak to me that a lot of bowlers in the competitive bowling community you know, are okay with winning a tournament based on the argument that somebody else should that that they know is probably going to beat them should be excluded. That's all. I mean, I just generally have a problem unless we're going to get it right and find a way to get it right, then I think it needs to be a like you can't have Jacob Buttress showing up to bowl a king of the hill but exclude professional bowlers from the USBC Open. You know, I just yeah. uh, I, I, I I I'm not okay with that. It doesn't make any sense. You know, and it just shouldn't be all over the place. But all right, go ahead, Rob. You want to dive into the uh, prize funds? Here. I do, and I brought this up because I didn't want to speculate on the prize fund. I know it's a, the, the the writing is a little bit small, people. If you can't see it, if you're watching, but I want I'm pulling it up just so I could bring up some interesting conversation on the prize fund. Okay, now all I'm doing is showing the prize fund right now, and I'm going to go over some numbers. And I am not an expert by any means in what it takes to run a tournament like the USBC Open Championship, okay? But so let let me run some numbers by you, Mike. There were a total of 36,776 entries, okay? Um, The total prize fund for the, with everything was $6,797,935. The expenses, Mike, were three million and twenty six dollars and um three hundred I'm sorry three million twenty six thousand three hundred forty six price fund was three million about three point seven million okay now Mike I'm asking this question because there's a few few points here a lot of people online are second guessing the expenses right on why the expenses. There was over $3 million out of the 6.7 taken out on expenses, okay? That's 
not half, but really close to half. I would imagine I'm not a numbers guy, but somewhere probably in the 45 percentile, right? Out of for expenses. Um, they, Kyle, great point. They didn't include bracket income, okay, which we know is always a big money maker. It used to be a huge money maker, not anymore. Um, now, here's my question. I'm not going to question the expenses, all right, because I don't know what it takes to for, for the USPC to run this tournament and how much they pay people. I'd imagine it's a lot. Would it make, first off, would it be a lot more transparency if they broke down the expenses? Is that too much? Is that too transparent to show people where that $3 million was spent in expenses? I mean, obviously, you have to pay your lane people. You have to pay your expenses of your tournament people that are there for, for three, four months. Now, if they released a breakdown like this on expenses, you think that would help out the USBC? Are they too transparent just bre- or releasing a prize fund like this? Like, should they not even release this and say, you know what, tough shit. If you like it, bowl it. If not, stay home. So I just want your thoughts because this has kind of a big, been a big debate online I've seen the last three days. I mean, again, we're only speculating based off of the little information we have about what it, you know, what it costs to set up an event like this, run an event like this. But a lot of terms, yeah, in terms of your question about uh, is it too much to ask to see how that, you know, couple million or three million is spent in expenses? No, no, I, I don't, I don't think that that's too much to ask at all. In fact, I, I would almost think that that would be a given. Um, you know, so so that that's definitely something that surprises me. Uh, but you know, let's be honest, Rob. Like, this is something that you know, this is a problem in bowling in general. You know, we 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 talked to Greg Tack about this a while ago. You know, remember when when he came on here <clears throat> and he told you that he doesn't take anything from his events, and you were like, "What?" I mean, you you were blown away when he told you that. Right. So the fact that you are blown away by somebody saying that says a lot like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a common yeah, practice that, that the tournament directors or, you know, or, or whoever's running the tournament is going to be taking uh, a cut of what's going on there. Right. But I definitely do not think that having seeing how that money was spent, you know, uh, is too much to ask. Um, look, like. I can't sit here and be like one of those online like people who think they know everything and say that $3 million is too much in expenses. And, you know, the USBC is stealing money and you got to hear like all the other crap that comes out of the Internet because people are making just looking at any possible area to shit on the USBC. okay? because they don't like Chad or they don't like how things are run in their local area. Um, So I don't know what. I don't have the facts behind like where the expenses went and if they're taking out too much money or the expenses were too much. What I'm, what my thing is, is should the USBC show those expenses and, and see, Hey, okay, well we spent, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on lane maintenance, but I mean, look like you don't think they could probably fudge those numbers if they wanted to and release that to the public. You know, like they could say, oh, well, we spent a half million dollars on lane maintenance. How does anybody really know what they spent? They don't know. It's just it, people aren't going to believe it anyway if they released it. So well, to I, me, just like, think, I just think like you, you know, that you look at things and you, you, do your due, you do your due diligence to a certain degree. And 
you know, you see if anything looks out Suspicious. of line. Yeah, it looks I don't I don't even want to use that word, but yeah, it looks maybe they, uh, may, hey Mike, maybe they're paying Bolero lineage. Okay. Seven dollars a game, you know. Yeah, I, I, thought that. I thought that maybe it's ten thousand <laughs> maybe it's ten dollars a game and it was the they weren't part of the PBA pen pals. You know, yeah, well, I'll, I'll also say this: like, there's got to be some serious cost in what they do. Just oh. in terms, no, listen, just in terms of the media that they provide for the tournament, because you know you have videos that come out every day. You have, you know, whenever they're bowling, you have, um, you know, you you have the the social media accounts that are running. You have the news stories that are going up. And I know it's a small team of people that are doing all that, but still, those people have to be there. They have to stay there. They have to eat. They have to get paid. I mean, and, and this tournament runs for months. So, so you know, like I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to comment on how out of line that number seems or doesn't seem. But again, I do think that you know, uh, the 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 USBC almost owes the bowlers, the, the knowledge of where that money is going. And you know what, Rob, you're, you're a little too easy on the USBC for me, to be honest with you. I mean, they, to me, have a lot to do with the position that the game is in right now and, and it being not such a great position. So I'm not as willing as you are to, like, give the USBC the, the benefit of the doubt. You no, know, I'm not it, giving them the benefit to a lot of these things. I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm just saying I'm not going to, like – shit on them for something that I don't really have any idea if 3 million out of a 6.7 million prize fund is a lot. Now there is a few points that are being made in the chat that need to be brought up. What about the bracket income? Did they report on that in the prize fund? Um, are they, are they reporting? Did they show the bowlers how many brackets were run, how much money was taken out of the brackets? If they put that back into the tournament, where'd that money go? Is it in, into you know the USBCs, whatever pockets. Uh, what about, dude? What about any deals with the casinos? Do they have a deal with the casino, like for every, all the gambling that goes on there? And and I know, you know, they always have deal with the bracket money getting paid out. I don't know, like those are extra maybe income that they make, but like there's a lot of distrust in the USBC. Um, you know, I've, like you said, a lot of people have bad experiences in like their tournaments that are being run and not so much is the USBC's fault, but a lot of people like feel like, you know, they're not, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, what is the word I'm looking for? They're just very hard on the USBC. Um, but look like when they release a prize fund like that, they're, they're opening themselves up for a lot of like discussion and a lot of, uh, uh, talk about where three million dollars in expenses go. Up. So I don't yeah, know. Mike, fair I enough. Just... So so Nico Puhar earlier asked us about if we had been following Junior Gold, and I got to be honest. Other than seeing that uh, Parker Bones' kid won uh, the one division, I think the <laughs> under eighteen division. You know, I didn't I didn't really follow it too much, but you know, to kind of piggyback on this topic a little bit. Uh, the USBC actually caught some heat over the prize funds of Junior Gold, too, I believe. I saw some posts anyway about it, you know, just in terms of, like, the number of entries in certain divisions versus the prize funds in said divisions. And, uh, you know, so it, I, don't, I don't think that the USBC Open is the, is the only uh, place where they're, where, they're where they're catching a little heat on uh, some of the prize funds. Mike, 
let me let me say something here. Has junior bowling tournaments ever paid out good? Okay. I've been a part of junior tournaments back when we were bowling that you'd have 150 entries and first place was like a hundred dollars. Okay. Like no, the, 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 the payouts, the payouts were actually really amazing, to be honest with you. But I think no. the argument I think the Just argument the that was going on was more based on the idea of entries in a certain division versus prize fund in a certain division. So I got to keep this up. First off, shout outs to my boy, Jeff Fair. Okay. The man, right. Be fair to flair. Woo. Um, USBC has to publish an annual report every year. It's on their website. Now that annual report, will that give us an idea of where the expenses went for that tournament, Jeff? Um, because if it is, I'd be curious when that gets published to go through it and, get an idea of what's everybody's saying before we're so quick to like, you know, shit on the USBC, at least what everybody on the internet loves to shit on things without understanding or, or knowing what they're shitting on. Um, yeah, Jeff, I don't know how often you tune in, but uh, Rob wants to take over the USBC. We actually have a hashtag around here. It's uh sweep the USBC. So yeah, Rob's well on his way here. So the 2019 tournament entry fees for all tournaments was 13 million. So yeah, that see, means like, that doesn't tell us a lot, you know. It tells I mean, me well this year was a, a lost year because of COVID. They weren't allowed to run full squads. They had to separate a lot of you know, this year was a shit year because of the fact where they couldn't pack the bowling centers. There was only one one team on a pair and they had to like separate pairs and there was a whole lot of um bullshit they had to deal with i like i kind of like to see the numbers for 2022 i think that's going to say a lot if the tournament is growing compared to the 2019 numbers um and it's back in vegas too so there's no reno excuse because i know a lot of people won't, don't want to go to reno because of the travel expenses and reno being probably the not one of my favorite cities i'll, I'll, I'll be pc um so anyway that being said mike um, Dougie Vision. I heard there was some drama on Dougie Vision, and I like to kind of talk about a little bit about it because it, it kind of correlates to like just bowling in general. Yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say drama so much as uh, just something that I saw people posting about that I found an interesting uh, topic come of conversation. On. So, <laughs> right, come on, dude. I love you, man, but who? Nobody loves bowling in Reno. I swear. Sorry. Okay. So what happened, yeah. Mike? So basically, uh, the the heart of the issue is that in some of the action matches that get arranged on there, uh, people will put out a match that for like an average cap, right? Where they <laughs> might say in action they want it. They want, so what? So okay, go explain this because this always makes me laugh when I when I hear this. Yeah, so uh, they they put out for a match, but it'll be with a cap. So, like, I think in this instance, the cap might have been two fifteen or something of that nature. And you know, they go out and they're bowling on house, and inevitably, what happens is some of these two fifteen or two twenty average bowlers, whatever it is, they shoot three hundred, they shoot big eight hundred series, and the other opponent gets really mad and starts to question the the actual average of that opponent and whether they're sandbagger. And honestly. Uh, when I see these discussions going on, uh, the only thing that comes to my mind is like, if you're having that argument, 
then you really don't understand uh, the modern bowling environment, right? You don't you don't really understand that someone could go into one center with one ball and one style of bowling of throwing the ball and average two fifteen, and they could go to a center right down the street and use that same ball and that same style, and for a season average two forty. Okay, so, first off, on that point, I'm two nineteen book. Okay, so I'm only four pins away from bowling this guy with a 215 cap. Okay, you and I both know on a house shot, I am not two, a 219 average. Okay, you, you just say if you were 219, you're not a 219 book average. Okay, we, we know that to me, that shows a very important point that I want to like bring up is the fact that the average and handicap system in bowling is completely and utterly flawed. Okay, it's a flawed system. I could, if I'm 219 book, Mike, the average hand, the handicap system is flawed. And you, why I'm 219? Because I bowled in a house that bowled on burn, on burn, and it was late. And I, the lanes were harder than the normal, like what you bowl on on a fresh house shot. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, so if what, you're if you're having those arguments, you really you don't you no. don't understand the the uh, modern playing environment, especially on the house side, because that's a great example that you brought up. Like somebody could bowl a house league that's on burn, you know, and they're they're not that easy. You know, say you had a ladies league that bowls before you and there's did. a mix we of had, plastic and resin and stuff going we down the lane. Like they're not they're not gonna be that easy, right? So um, you know, and if you get on a, a fresh house shot where you feel like you have more room and you know you match up better than you do in this other house, it's nothing to shoot eight thirty or eight forty like Somebody that looks at another bowler as shooting 820 as something that only a, only somebody with a high level of skill could accomplish uh, is is just way off the mark, man. You're just way off the mark with that, honestly. Honestly, like there's a major problem in the sport with this exact exact topic. Okay. It is the reason why the handicap tournaments are bigger than the scratch tournaments these days. The ABTs and the TATs that are in the handicap divisions are getting hundreds and hundreds of entries when scratch tournaments are getting only, you know, half of that. Why? Because someone like Jeff Lindenmuth, who I know well and I know Irvine very well, um, who goes to Bola House League in Irvine, and that, that, that house is impossible. It's not an easy house. Even on the fresh house shot, they're tough because the house in general is just brutal to carry on. Did you literally have to try like it's tough to carry? Okay, so you're averaging a 215 when in reality, if you bowl somewhere like let's just say Fountain Valley, which is down the road, and you bowl on their fresh house shot, you you bowl you average 230. So if I'm a handicap and I want to win handicap tournaments with a lot of handicap money, what what makes me want to average 235 or 240 when I could go to Irvine average 210? And then bowl a handicap ABT at two ten, and 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 bowl. You know what I mean? The, the, the system is flawed. Yeah, but see that then then what happens inevitably in this bowling environment that we're in is that somebody watches you throw a shot, or watches you bowl a squad at that handicap tournament that you go to where you're two ten, and no one, you know, everybody will complain and cry, and you know, probably so though. Yeah, probably until you get thrown up. But is it rightfully so though? Like, like you said, if you choose to go bowl in a tougher house, 
why sh- why should you be punished? That's part of the problem with the handicap system in general. 100%. Right? So so like yeah, I, I just I saw this issue come up and I thought it would be interesting to kind of okay. uh, throw it out there. And again, my my point on this was simply that you know if somebody looks at a, a bowler a, a shooting eight twenty or, or or even you know even a higher score than that, honestly, but eight hundred or above, right? If you if you look at a bowler shooting eight hundred above is something that only a higher level bowler could accomplish, then you really don't understand the modern playing environment. Yeah, there's a lot of like Frank, hundred percent. Maybe stop handicapping those leagues. Stop putting maxes on leagues. Maybe just have like a cap. You start capping leagues, and then yeah, it's stupid because it's. I wouldn't say stupid, but it's going to force people like me not to want to be two thirty, so I could bowl with maybe friends or something right um so there's a lot of challenges and a lot of flaws in the handicap system today and i think mike fagan maybe i like to reach out to him because he had a great solution to the handicap system years ago he wrote up a huge article i like to try to pull it up on how to fix the handicap system and and i don't remember exactly the details but i know he had it down it was a pretty cool solution um but look first off i want to say if you're looking to bowl action I'm against calling out people, but being like, oh, well, you have to be over two, you can't be over 215 if you want to bowl action. Okay. Who's verifying this average? Is Dougie going on the USBC no, websites I, I and verifying the, the average? No, I believe the opponents are actually going on USBC <laughs> and verifying. I'm serious. Jesus, what a shit show. averages, right? Um, dude, if you're looking to bowl an action match, okay, look, I love Dougie and I know what he's trying to do, trying to get more people out. Action bowling should only be for the scratch bowler, okay? That's just my opinion, okay? When I was a kid and we were growing up, if somebody in Brooklyn, we were bowling at Maple Lanes, and someone said, well, I'll bowl anybody in the house only if they're 190 to a 205 average, they would get laughed out the building. Everyone would make fun of them. They would probably – they might even get slapped, Mike. They might even get slapped and say, get the fuck out of here. What are you? Who, what, you're a joke. Leave. Okay. You want to call someone out of action? It's a free call out. You're calling out anybody. Anybody want to bowl me? Bowl me. But you can yeah, only or, be two or, or five hours, Mike. Or you had to go out and call out that specific person, right? You have to. You had to go and call out this. that specific person that you Dude, thought. Dude, people you, coming in. Right. Uh, we got to so, we got to read that and, and get on that. Thanks, yeah, we'll Brian. That I appreciate that. That's that awesome. Social yeah. media, no, our fans yeah. are the best, bro. Um, so uh, I, I don't I don't know. I don't feel as uh, uptight about you do as people uh, looking for matches based on a certain average cap. I think I don't like saying, "Oh, well, here's my average, and it has to be lower than that." You know, I think there should always be some wiggle room to bowl somebody that's a little bit a, a, above you in average as well. But uh, I will say that the advent of social media almost necessitates that. Because, Rob, in the era that you're talking about, most bowlers that you were going to call out or if you were if you were doing an open call out in a house, like I've done – and people don't understand this, Rob. Like the, the young bucks do not get that, like, there would be times, and I have personally done this, where after you were done bowling league, you went to the front desk and told them, so-and-so's uh, is open for an action match. Anybody that wants to bowl, see him behind lane, so-and-so, and so-and-so. 
Am I right or am I wrong, Rob? I mean, that, that no. was a regular occurrence, right? It was. Okay. Dude, Tony, is bowling for 100 to 300 really bowling action? I mean, yeah, it today is. it is. On, today it on. is. Today come it on. is. That's back, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, that wasn't. That was like an appetizer. That was like where the kiddies bowled on the corner pair and let the real men bowl for some real money back in the main pairs. But today, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize based off of financial shit. I mean, action, <laughs> today it is. action is point, action, though. whether you're bowling for $5 or 5,000 actions, action to me. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've bowled some very meaningful, you know, $25 and $50 action matches in my time. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But anyway, I want to, I want to go back to this point of call out, like the call outs, Rob, you knew who you were calling out. Like when I went up to the microphone after a night of league bowling, when me and Paluzic were in the building and would say, hey, Paluzic and Weiner are looking for action from anybody. See them behind lanes 11 and 12. I knew that I didn't care who walked up to me. I was taking that match because I felt confident that I could beat anybody in that building, right? Now, today, when you're putting it out on social media, you know, I don't feel the same way, Rob, because like, if, if you always have to take a match, no matter who steps up, then you're going to have all the sharks, you know, circle in the water waiting for some 220 average bowler to say they want to bowl and say, okay, I'll take your match. And now, and now you're saying they have to bowl them even if the guy's 240 look, and we all know it's not a fair match. Well, look, here's the thing is, okay, this is not just today. This was back when I, I was like watching action, not even bowling it, okay? Everybody's looking for an advantage. Okay, it's always been like that. It's yeah, but that's that's, like that's that. what I'm saying. The advantage is so much easier with social media involved because you don't, you know, you might not know who you're bowling on the other side. Whereas when when you and I were younger, were you know, and coming up and bowling action or watching action, though, you know, whoever those guys were bowling, they knew each other already. Oh, you know, they were all they were, yeah, they were, they were. and and the, the edge was not in who you were bowling; it was in what you were bowling on, right? Or where you were bowling or who was, who was allowed in the building for the, for the match or whatever. So. Yeah. That separated a lot of the great action bowlers from a lot of the good action bowlers. The great action bowlers would go in into anyone's center and bowl. I know like someone, like a lot of even the pros, like Chris Barnes used to bowl a lot of action. Um, and he used to bowl people in their own houses and he, he, he lost, he lost, but he had the balls enough to bowl like the local legends. You know, in that house, who knows every pair? Who might yeah, even set up the, the lanes advantage. up? Giving up who the might advantage. Even set, might even set the lanes up prior yeah, he, to them bowling. He talked. He talked to us about it in the interview that we had with him, where he talked about bowling in the New York City area when they would come to Carolier and some of the shots that these guys would put out. So, yeah, I, I just again, I just thought that it was an interesting conversation to bring up, and and my point of it to be clear was that, you know, again, you, if you if I bowled somebody in action who's even 210, okay, and they shoot 825, the last thing I'm going to think is that they scammed me on their average. I'm going to think, man, they were easy. Man, I should have shot 840. Uh, man, they matched up with the right ball or the right way in that house. They should bowl there all the time. But I'm not going to think, oh, that guy just spent 36 weeks setting a trap for me. You know, I don't know about that. Dude, we uh, Ernie Schlegel's got some good ones. I, I got to get – I like to get Ernie on um, to talk Ernie. Um, and I really want to show know, him he's my Ernie coming on. Word, word, remember, Rob, we have a lost episode. People forget about that. Dude. And, and part of that lost <laughs> episode is that <laughs> – 
<laughs> is that a, a guest, a guest ba- reprimanded you and bounced on us because you dis yo you had the balls to disrespect the name of Ernie Schlegel. Okay. All I said so, was that Ernie Schlegel back in the day was a donator. If you look at his donator. stats on tour, you called him a donator. And this, if you look at his guest, stats, this unnamed, this not never to be named guest, uh, <laughs> who is part of this lost episode, guys, people, I, I'm not even kidding you about this. They stopped the whole thing we were doing, and they were like, "No, no, man, I can't let this go. I gotta, I gotta tell Rob he's wrong." And they went off on a tangent. <laughs> and uh, put Rob in his place, and that was that. So, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know believe ever, it. I don't. I don't, I don't know if we're it. ever going to get uh, Ernie Schlegel. I also think if we get Ernie Schlegel, we might never get Randy Peterson again, and oh. that worries me because I we like should bring them both on. Oh, that, that, nah, no way. That I don't think there's no way that would happen. Watch the video of the Stone Eight with them both. That would be the dream. That would be yeah. the dream. Yeah, um, but no, all right, we're not Rob, uploading that episode. <laughs> no, let's uh, let's let's give the people what they want, man. So funny. Don't believe it. I don't believe <laughs> it. <laughs> it was that too. That's what we were doing. We were we were doing a, a play-by-play commentary of that show with someone, and See, yeah, just, and uh, look, Dave. I, I'm not. I wasn't saying he was a bad bowler. All, no. all I was saying was that compared to his looking at his numbers throughout his career and how many tournaments he bowled to to how many tournaments he won and cashed, he he, he kind of was a donator on tour. So, I mean, he he didn't win his. I mean, he just you know he just didn't really uh, have the numbers. I mean. What are you gonna do, Mike? What are you gonna do, Mike? You say some shit sometimes, whatever. Um, okay, so worst of the week, Mike. I'm gonna go first this week because I'm gonna go on record and saying this is the first week of worst of the week that I am giving the worst of the week to the goat. Okay, the goat. The man. I already know. I already know. It's you. It was your post. One it was your post. post. Yeah, it was your it was. post that brought the goat out of the woodwork. And at first, honestly, Rob, I was a little confused, I got to say, because I thought you posted that on our Facebook page, but you actually posted it on the USBC discussion board page. I did it right? on both. I did so when I, when I saw the goat's oh. comment, I thought that he had it's come our to post. our page. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, oh. The goat gets it. He gets the show. He gets the show. But no, no he doesn't no, get the show. No, you got no. Leon Platt is right in the chat. You got bucked. I got bucked. You I got bucked, I got so. bucked. So my post was about the USBC tournament. I threw the question out about you know should the national pros be allowed the bowl? I wanted to get a lot of people's feedback. And Mike, we had a, about two hundred and seventy comments strong on that post, and that was just from the USBC message board. Okay. Um, I mean, about 112 answers. So it was a pretty hot post. Tim Buck comes on and writes, admin. Can't have no fun around these parts. (laughs) This conversation is tripping too many word filters and not an amazing it turn into personal attacks when people don't agree with others. And then shut off the comments on our post, Mike. 
he completely bucked. He bucked up. He he bucked, bucked up on our post. He bucked sweep the is this official beef between us and Tim Buck? <laughs> I don't know. We want to go against Tim Buck. He he might call he might call our admin, provider. Admin powers. Dude, he might call our provider that we use for this platform and filter us. I mean, it he might shut us down. So congrats to the GOAT. You are the man, the myth, the, myth, the legend, Tim Buck. Congrats on winning worst of the week. Again, again, the again. GOAT. I know again. no one. I mean, he's like he, – he, Really, I mean, he's he's like the Bill Russell of the worst of the week. Like you can't, you got to put him in another category because if you start talking wins, then you know you're just you're just never good. It's never you're never. I mean, you got the you got to Tim Buck, and then you got the Milwaukee Bucks. True. So it's it's both 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 righteous champions in their own way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. right, Here's my worst of the week. Now you know. Sometimes my worst of the weeks, in a way, are like best of the weeks because they're so bad that they allow me to point out uh, a a bigger issue in the bowling community. And and this post definitely falls into that category, okay? Uh, This post was by Colin Pittman. Colin Pittman on the Hammer Bowling page. Congratulations, Colin. Uh, You won worst of the week. Uh, he says, uh, have a redemption solid and got it because I needed a stronger hooking ball. I've never been able to make it hook and it just looks dead. Is there a surface I should change it to? Because I'm just using it as a spare ball now. And I'm just, you know. I read that I read something like that on a hammer message board, and it's just honestly, it's cringeworthy. It's well, cringeworthy well, to me because it shows so many things that are wrong with the bowling community in one short Facebook post. And that's yeah, why and I say it's like it's worst of the week, but it's best of the week because it's so bad that it's good because it points out things that need to change. Look. I worked in the pro shop for about a year. Okay, please, speak on it, please. I used to see it used to happen more than more than enough where someone would come in and you would drill them a ball, or they would ask you, "Hey, I need a ball that hooks a lot," and you'd say, "Okay, well, well, how do you throw in?" They would tell you, and then you know, if you had time, you might put on the lane and watch them bowl. But in other cases, they might bring you a ball and say, "Look, this ball doesn't hook." Okay. Now, when I wasn't busy, I used to be like, okay, well, we looking to drill a new ball. They'd be like, yes. So I'd say, okay, well, here's a free game. Go out into the lanes and I'm going to come watch you bowl so I could get an idea of how you throw it and what would hook for you. Okay. And then they would bring out whatever at the time, maybe it was like a virtual gravity. Okay. Which was like a huge hooking ball. And they would throw it down the lane and they would throw it dead straight up the middle of the lane. Okay. Dead straight. They'd have a fingertip grip. They would get set and they would just air it up the middle of the lane. And then I'd say, well, there's a reason why your ball is not hooking. And they'd say, well, they would think it was the ball. But in reality, obviously, we know because, you know, we're in the sport that it's them. Okay, so I feel like that was you'd be surprised how many people thought their ball like didn't hook, but they really it was just them or they would drill the ball to hook so much 
that the ball would just use up all of its energy by the arrows and just roll out halfway well, that's down another the thing. And Another thing it makes me think about is that the common bowler doesn't even understand hook. No, they don't even understand hook. the idea of hook right. because Front hook, part, back part. Yeah, is, yeah, hook actually means early roll. And, and if you want a ball that hooks a lot, then you want a ball that rolls early, right? right? And it's actually not going to quote unquote hook a lot. What most bowlers mean when they walk into a pro shop and say hook is they mean down lane reaction. They mean they want a ball with more down lane reaction, right? Because right. hook means to me reaction in the front part of the lane. Not react, not necessarily reaction uh, in the front part of the lane. In it's the back a majority part of the, the population. It's a, just a majority. It's a problem with the sport. I know, yeah, but a lot but, of uneducated okay, so, people. So let me, so let me. Let me. I know. I know. But let me go to the next part of this conversation. This is why I love this post. Why it's so good. It made me think about all these things. So then, doesn't the blame for that go to the more educated side of the bowling community, like pro shop operators? Like, shouldn't they be the ones who are educating people about these things on a regular basis? You know, like, like shouldn't shouldn't the pro shop operators? And and again, I understand that at this point, like, you know, the 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 days of the great pro shop operator are probably long gone. I think, you know, I think they're they're those are spread very thin these days. And you have a lot of people who are getting in the business because they want they are interested in the sport and want to be in the business, not necessarily because they, they know the pro shop business, right? They, so they rather they rather sit and watch Netflix, right, right, in, so, in their pro shop than actually like be out there helping people. Yes, now. yeah. So like that's my point. Like, shouldn't there be more grassroots education so that we? Because guys, this has been the way it's been for like 15, 20 years, like. I was laughing at people who used to come into our pro shops and and talk this way 20 years ago, and it's still going on now. So, like, there should be more education. There should be more grassroots education on, on, on the part of the informed bowlers, on the part of the pro shop people. Like, instead of selling somebody a brand-new ball for $250 or $300 because it's a brand-new ball and they, they say they want a hook, you know, Go out, like you said, and watch them bowl and explain to them, you know, what hook is and, and, and how, you know, what they're really looking for and what the difference is between what they're looking for and what they ask for. Mike, know, one of the people. best things, Mike, one of the best things I've ever seen as a bowler is those clinics that Barry Asher used to run at Found Valley. It was $10 for two hours of bowling. He put the lanes on from 12 to 2 in order for you to enter into that clinic. You would have to walk into the pro shop and give him the ten dollars, and then he would walk around. Him and Mark Baker would walk around for two hours and help every single person on. And he'd run like that clinic, and it would he'd get like 30, 40 people, all levels of bowlers. I'd be practicing with a bowler from a one twenty average to a two thirty average. But here's the thing that's so genius about it is he would get build relationships with people. He would show them. He would give them tips. And guess where they're going to go for now wanted to, to, to buy a bowling ball or to buy a bag? Or it, it, It's so genius and such a basic idea that if every pro shop around the country started running f clinics for $10 at, at, at a dead time in the bowling center and you bring in people, you're building your relationships. And that's where sales come, Mike. That's basic sales 101.
is relationships. And that's how you get people in. And you're getting a tip. You're getting one of the greatest bowlers of all time to help you. Yeah. So 100%, Mike. Very true. All right, hit the, hit, hit the people with it, Rob. Got it. All right, final thoughts, man. My final thought is uh, I'm out next week. This is the first time uh, in a long Disney. time. Yeah, it's the first time in a long time I'm missing the podcast. I can't even remember the last time I missed a show. You've never but, missed uh, a show. You've yeah, I don't know if I show. have. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. No. You're right. I rarely ever go away. But uh, I yeah. am. I'm going away. I will not be here. Uh, I, I got to say, I probably won't even be tuned into the show next week. Uh, so everybody have, have a great uh, two weeks. I'll be back two weeks from now. Uh, Rob, you better choose somebody good to co-host for me. Don't be bringing some lame onto our show or some shit. Yeah, uh, no, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I think right now I have someone super entertaining. Um, and uh, okay. yeah, we're already talking about like what we want to do because you know I remember the, my first show, like how excited I was. <laughs> so um, uh, we for, we did forget to talk about the Lubbock Open that's this weekend. So that would be my final thought. Yo, yeah, that's is, right, um, that's right. Bowling is back, man. Flow Bowling is back this weekend with a full PBA title tournament. Uh, from start to finish, so I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think I think strong. to me, yeah, like the guys who are hot, the guys who who have been hot. I, I that that's the big question to me. Like, is is somebody who's been hot going to continue to be hot and and uh, and win this event, uh, or is is a new face going to emerge and uh, and make a run here? But, you know, if it's Kyle Troop or it's Sean Rash or it's Chris Vi or it's Frankie Lavoie, uh, you know, all all of whom I'm, I'm, you know, confident would be bowling this event, uh, then I won't be <laughs> surprised at all. Won't be surprised. Yeah, I'll be tuned in a little bit to see what's going on, especially at least the final day of match play um, uh, and see what's going on there. And, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see. I know this is still part of the season, right? So yeah, I will, I will be – I'm going to be at Bill O'Neill's house on Saturday. He's not bowling this weekend, so we're I think we're getting together. But I got to say, even though I will be at Bill's house, I will probably be somewhat glued to the bowling and uh, and watching and following. Oh, Bill's not bowling? Bill's, Bill's no, not bowling? No, he's not bowling this weekend, no. Oh, that's breaking news. Breaking news. No, I don't, honestly, I don't think it is because the prize funds in these events are not what they were the last few years. So um. – uh, with travel and all that factored in, I think a lot of guys feel like it's um, it's probably uh, you know more in their interest to stay home and just do. Oh, that's so things. sad! Isn't I that know, sad? I know, I know. It stinks because it's like you know, it's not it's not going to be anywhere near uh, a full field, you know, of 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 P, you know, the the PBA quote unquote stars. But you know what? That's all right. I think I think most of the guys who have hot hands are probably going to be out there bowling just because they have hot hands. My other final – one more final thought for me is Stu Williams, yo. Get it together, bro. Rob, do you know what the worst the worst bowling take I ever had on this show was? You know what it was? That Stu was going to be comeback player of the year this year. So far, that is the worst take I have had on this show period. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I look for Stu this weekend to step out of the podcast booth and the commentary booth and get get on the show, bro. 
Let's Ooh. see you bowling on the show. All right, that's what we want to see this weekend. Okay, I put, I put, I put my reputation as a bowling commentator behind that. Bowling All right, so, so please, <laughs> you, know. you know your bowling commentator history. Yeah, <laughs> Yo, I, I, have some, I have some impressive. I have some impressive uh, calls feats. in my in, yeah in my history here. You, you know, have like, some crazy like betting like betting on a female against Jacob Buttriff and calling Chris Barnes for the win when he was in 16th recently. So I'm going to call Stu Williams on the show this weekend. They're in Texas. He's bowling in his home state. Uh, I'm I'm going to call him on the show this weekend. So. All right, Rob, listen, have a great week. Yo, somebody in the chat mentioned that they might be able to get in touch with uh, Ernie Schlegel and get him on the show. If you can, email us, please. We'd love to have him. We'd love to get in touch with him. Uh, Rob, you have a great two weeks, man. Uh, you know, whoever you bring on as a co-host, good luck next week. I hope you have a fun time. People in the chat, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, I'm at the 215th on Twitter. He's at BrooklynRob11. Uh, hit us up uh, at SweepTheRack on Gmail. And, uh, yeah, I'll see everybody in two weeks. And, uh, and Rob, keep the train rolling next week, bro. All right, man. Later. See you guys. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike.